0: What's up? Welcome to Shooting the Schmidt. I'm your host, Jonathan Smith. Thanks for tuning in today. Got a shorter podcast for you, only two segments. Obviously, we're pre- we're previewing the College Football National Championship game, and then we're going to talk about the upcoming NFL weekend, all the different playoff scenarios for all these different teams to get in or miss the playoffs. It's going to be a great show. Here we go. football national championship game is quickly approaching it is almost here Monday night 730 I think that sounds right 730 ESPN TCU versus Georgia an absolute Cinderella story versus an absolute juggernaut I cannot wait for this game to happen Uh, I'm gonna make a prediction here at some point but first I want to talk about what this means for each program and so I want to start with TCU so TCU is fighting to be the first team since the year 1990, 33 years ago, to start the season unranked and win the national title. Okay, like they have a legit chance to go from five and seven last year to 14 and one. You know they're guaranteed to go 13 and two. Obviously, I think win or lose, Sunny Dykes, you can't deny, has just done an absolutely great job in year one at TCU. Uh, it's just been really impressive. Just how quick the turnaround has happened, how he's gotten his players to buy in so quickly. It's just, it's been incredible. But here's the thing this is more than just history. This is about more than just history. This is about breaking the pattern of college football as we know it. 30 years since the team has started unranked and won the national title. Okay, the last time a team started unranked and made the national title was the 2013 Auburn team with Gus Malzahn in year one where they just had the crazy anomaly of a run, right? And I think that when we look at the last decade, the teams who have actually won the national title have been atop the off-season recruiting battle, right? Like Alabama has, you know, a top-five class every year. Ohio State has a top-five class every year. Georgia has a top-five class every year. Like those three teams dominate recruiting. When we look at Clemson, they're usually not top 5 but they're still top 10, right? Like these teams consistently recruit at a high level. And with TCU, that just isn't the case. These last four recruiting cycles, TCU is ranked 32nd in 2019, 23rd in 2020, 44th in 2021, and 28th this last year with only one five-star recruit that actually now plays for Ole Miss. So the idea then goes to, "Oh, they must just be, like, lighting up the transfer portal, right? Like, they're top five in transfers every year. They're going out, and they're grabbing all these guys who are leaving and things like that. So that, that was my thought. That's, that was my guess. That's not true either. The last four transfer recruiting rankings, All oh, by the way, all these rankings coming from 24-7 Sports, they do a really good job with all of their high school recruiting stuff. Anyway, last four recruiting rankings via transfers were 29th in 2019. 23rd in 2020, 14th in 2021, and 13th this last year. So, is it better? Yes. But they haven't, you know, blown it out of the water, right? I mean, either way, what they've done is rather simple, I think. Like, when we look at how they've reassembled their team and how they've made this leap very quickly is rather simple. Or Well, it sounds simple, but I believe that it's really hard to execute very difficult to accomplish, okay? First, they found a great quarterback, okay? Max Duggan, you can't really deny that, okay? Like Heisman finalists, you know, leading one of the best offenses in the country. We saw that We saw him have an okay game against Michigan when you look at the numbers, but he made some really big throws. His ability to run is really kind of what makes that TCU offense tick, and Max Duggan has just been a great grab for them. Second, they... They found two or three elite skill guys, right? Obviously running back um, Kendra Miller and then the wide receiver Quentin Johnston who is potentially going to be the first wide receiver off the board in this upcoming draft class. Those are their elite skill position guys, okay? And when you have an offense with an elite quarterback, Max Duggan's probably going to get drafted. Will he be a starter in the NFL? Probably not. Could he be a backup? I could definitely see that. Between that and a couple of skill guys – you can make up for an average offensive line or, you know, whatever else, right? So it's just—it's been really impressive just to see what these three guys have done. And we saw it in the Michigan game. Like, these three guys dominated Michigan, minus Miller, because obviously he got hurt. But before that, he had, like, eight carries for, like, 60 yards, something really impressive like that, right? Like, you could tell Miller was in, in for a big day, right? Right. And then they, they bring in the backup, who ended up having a great day, ran for over 150 yards. It's been really impressive. Just It was really impressive just to watch them run the football. But those three guys, having three guys on your offense who are all three at that really high level, three guys who are going to get drafted, they can really elevate your offense. And we've seen that with TCU this year. And finally, the most important thing for these programs to do, to turn it around quickly, It's to hire good offensive and defensive coordinators. Okay, I think that's the most important thing for any program, right? Like Nick Saban can be your head coach, but if your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator aren't good, then you're not going to be very good. All right, I don't care what kind of players you have. Can really good players make up for bad coaching? In some instances, yes, of course they can, right? Because they go out there and they make plays. That's what really good players do. But ultimately, what makes teams' championship level is when these really good players are put in really good position by their coaches, and we've seen TCU do that all year on offense and on defense. All right, let's start with Joe Gillespie. Okay, he's been awesome this year. He's their defensive coordinator. They've ran this really weird three-three-five, which is basically if you don't know that terminology, three down linemen, three linebackers, five DBs. Okay, because their front seven just isn't as talented as the guys that they have in their secondary. I think when you watch, I think that that's pretty imminent right like the back part of their defense is really good they've got a corner who's who's going to get drafted and then on top of that because they're playing with three safeties it allows them to be faster than every offense that they've played all year right and that's like one of the things that you'll hear people talk about with this TCU team is just how much speed they have well the reason why they have so much speed especially on defense is because of having, you know, an extra de- like defensive end or an extra defensive tackle or having an extra, you know, linebacker somewhere. Instead, they're like, you know what, we're going to take this guy who's, you know, the same height as a linebacker, probably, you know, a little bit slimmer, but is faster and can move. And look, safeties they're, they have the ability to come up and tackle, right? and So they're able to kind of play this third roaming safety and move him around and bring him up to the line of scrimmage and also drop him deep and also have him cover your running back out of the backfield, and they give you a fighting chance when, when you're running a tight end out there. I'm really interested to see how TCU defends Brock Bauer this game because they have this extra safety that they're probably, I would assume, are going to try to line up on Brock Bauer, and then we're going to see Georgia obviously move him around to not allow that matchup to happen, to try and get him lined up on on a linebacker. It's going to be really interesting just to kind of see how all that plays out and how Georgia tries to counter the speed of this TCU team. Moving on to the offense, Garrett Riley, offense coordinator. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about the, just the players that they have on offense and Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston and Kendra Miller and just how talented those guys are and how all those guys have futures at the NFL level. A large part of that is because Garrett, Garrett Riley has done a great job of putting the ball in those guys' hands. Okay, like he's done a great job of being like, okay, like these are my guys. These are my guys who, who when I snap my fingers, can be in the end zone. These, this is the guy who's going to play at the next level. How do I get them the ball? How do I get my best players the ball? He's done an absolutely fantastic job of doing that. And when you have good coaching like TCU does, you don't need as much talent to win games. Okay, what they've done is they have provided a blueprint on how to quickly turn your program around and win games. It's been really impressive. I think that this TCU run has really kind of given some of these, like, smaller programs some hope, right? Because coming into the season, when we looked at just the state of Texas, we viewed TCU as the third-best team in the state of Texas, right, behind Texas and Texas A&M. And now you look up, and this team that, you know, hasn't exactly – dominated the recruiting trends this past year is playing for a national championship like what like this is an absolutely insane thing it's been so much fun to watch moving on to georgia with a win they will quickly if they aren't already become the next college football program to be the favorite to be the next dynasty in college football right and to be clear They won't be a dynasty, okay? Like, you're not a dynasty for winning back-to-back national championships. Okay, you're just—you just had a really good two-year stretch, right? You're a dynasty when you win, like, three of four, four of five, somewhere in that range, right? And they'll be on the verge of doing that, obviously, if if they're able to go back-to-back, right? And you know, Kirby Smart wants that so badly. You know, as a guy who was on Nick Saban's staff— and the last dynasty that we had in college football, you know, he not only wants to follow Nick Saban's dynasty with one of his own, one that he was a part of, he wants to follow it with one of his own, right? But what I really think he wants is obviously to pass him, right? Like this is not some revolutionary idea of, oh, all of a sudden Kirby Smart wants to be the best coach ever, okay? That's, you know, every coach's goal from the moment that they start coaching, right? And I think people talk a lot about how competitive players are and like rightfully so obviously the players are competitive they're the ones going out making the plays putting their body on the line putting in you know the time in the gym and in the weight room and all these different types of things but I think that we do it to a point where we forget how competitive coaches are okay like do you have to really commit to an industry and invest in an industry for a long time, to become a head coach, especially a head college football coach at the University of Georgia, okay? Like, it's a long road for these guys. And so when they finally get these opportunities, look, they start off competitive in the beginning, but now that they've put all this time in and they look back and they see the work that they've done and the hours that they've spent watching film and learning and doing all these different things, it only adds fuel to that fire of that competitiveness, right? Because it's like not only... Do I want to do this already? But I've put in the time and the effort and it's finally here. And I'm just, I'm ready to go out and to win these football games. Right. And so that's what happens to these coaches. And on top of that, I think most of us have experienced the overly competitive 40 or 50 something year old guy playing pickup ball at whatever gym you go to. And that guy's usually the worst. Okay. And that's what I think a lot of these coaches are like, except that they're doing it for millions and millions of dollars. Right, so the competitiveness only goes up, and I think we're going to see that this game, right? I think this game is as much about Georgia beating TCU as it is about Kirby Smart setting himself up to properly chase Nick Saban. Right now, with all that being said, and what this means for each team. Oh, one, one more thing on Georgia. I know that like they're going to repeat, and a lot of key players. And by a lot of key players, I mean one, Stetson Bennett is back, trying to go back to back. A lot of these guys on the defensive side of, a lot of these guys on the def- defensive side of the ball for Georgia weren't starters last year, right? And so I think that there's this chip on Georgia's shoulder of proving that like, hey, we're just as good as, if not better, than this team from last year, right? Because like we talked a ton last year about how good that Georgia defense was, and just and how many you know NFL guys they had on it and yada yada yada, and you know that those backups sat there and they heard about it and they heard about it and they heard about it, and and they're just ready to put themselves in a position where people talk about them and not the guy that was playing in front of them last year, right? So I think that this is, for Georgia, it's not only about Kirby Smart setting himself up to chase Nick Saban, but it's also about these defensive guys who didn't start last year coming in and making a statement of, hey, I'm just as good as, if not better than, this guy that I sat behind last year, right? So now, with all that being said, I think that Georgia is going to beat TCU simply because across the board, they have better players. Like, they just do, okay? And they can match TCU's speed, okay? And that Georgia staff is every bit as good, if not better, than the the TCU staff, right? And so when I think that we look at it, these are going to be two teams that are extremely well coached across the board, Right, like I've, you know, sung the praises of Sonny Dykes and his staff at TCU. And obviously, you know, Kirby Smart and his staff have been have been awesome ever since they got there. And they're finally kind of at a point where they're over the hump and they figured out how to win at this level. And so because of that, I, I have to take Georgia. Like if the coaching is just as good and the players are better, like how do I not take Georgia to win this game? Right. I think the last time I checked, you know, Georgia opened up as 13 and a half point favorites. I think that's steep. Right, because as I said, the coaching at TCU is really good. They're one hundred percent going to cover that. I would be stunned if TCU did not cover this game. Okay. I I think this is gonna end up being a one possession game. Maybe Georgia like kicks a field goal late to go up ten and then like that's ball game, right? But ultimately I I I do like Georgia to win. I think the final score of this game is gonna be Georgia wins forty five to thirty eight. They'll win by a touchdown. You know, maybe, you know, it'll be close late and Stetson Bennett has another magical fourth quarter where he puts it together and they win. Or, you know, maybe TCU scores late to make it not, not look as bad. We'll see. I'm very excited about this game. I think there's going to be a lot more points scored than people realize, obviously, with my prediction. I'm really excited about it. Monday night, 730. I'll be in front of my couch watching the game. I can't wait to talk about the winner of the game on Tuesday. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. We're going to talk NFL and just everything coming down the pipe this Sunday in terms of playoff positioning and seating and things like that. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmitz, moving on to the NFL, last segment of the day here. So to start this out, I just want to break down, in case you don't know, all the different playoff scenarios in which teams can make it or miss it um, and then from there I'll kind of tell you what I'm expecting to happen on Sunday and why I expect for it to happen. So here we go. So let's start with the easy one. Titans play the Jags, eight thirty, Saturday night, in a winner take all divisional championship battle. Okay. The AFC South is up for grabs. The winner goes to the playoffs is the four the AFC. The loser goes home. They get to spend, you know, the playoff weeks on the couch with us, watching all the games, right? And that's obviously not what they want to happen. So that is Titans-Jags, 8.30 Saturday night. Um, that's really simple. Just a very simple head-to-head battle there. Now here's where it gets kind of complicated, right? So the Patriots play, play the Bills 1 o'clock on Sunday, okay? The Bills are playing for seeding. If the Patriots win, they're in. Simple as that. Now if the Patriots lose, the Dolphins play the Jets at 1 o'clock on Sunday. The Jets, they're, they're done. They cannot make the playoffs. But if the Dolphins win... And the Pats lose, they're in. Okay, And then finally, the Browns and the Steelers play at 1 o'clock on Sunday. The Browns are obviously uh, eliminated from playoff contention. The Steelers are in if they win and the Dolphins and Patriots lose. Simple as that. Not super confusing. Basically just pay attention to the Patriots, Dolphins, and Steelers game. Uh, And then whoever wins is probably in. So moving on there. Uh, to to the NFC. The NFC, really simple. Same thing as the AFC. You got three teams battling for one spot. Okay, So Rams, Seahawks. So the Rams are eliminated. This game's at 4.30 on Sunday. Uh, the Seahawks have to win, and the Packers have to lose in order for them to make the playoffs. Looking at the Lions and the Packers, they play at 8.20 Sunday night. Uh, the Lions need, need the Seahawks to lose, and they have to win in order to make it in. And for the Packers, if they win, they're in. Simple as that. Now, what happens? What is going to unfold on Sunday? Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Who's going to choke under the pressure? Who's going to rise to the occasion, right? So let's start with the AFC. Titans-Jags, 8.30, Saturday night. Cannot wait for this game. Just the emergence of Trevor Lawrence, the addition of Doug Peterson being the new head coach. I think it's just done absolutely wonders for him. I remember the Jags started off the season, and everyone was like, are Well, the Jack's good. Yes, they are. You know, they had some games that they lost because they're young. It makes sense. It happens. But thankfully, the AFC South is terrible, okay, which I think just speaks to how bad the NFC South is because the AFC South is really bad, but we're not talking about it because the NFC South is that much worse. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I like the Jacks to win. Titans are playing Josh Dobbs, a quarterback. You know, if they had Ryan Tannehill, I'd probably take the Titans. But they're on the road. It's in Jacksonville. I they Jacksonville has the better quarterback. I just don't know how you don't pick The jacksonville jaguars to win that game So moving on to the rest of the afc I think the dolphins will grab that seven seed Um, look they're home against the jets. I know that tua isn't playing But like it's the jets. I just I don't Trust them to go down into miami And win I just don't especially Since, you know, the quarterback position is still a question mark, I don't really know what they're going to do. So, yeah, I I like the Dolphins to beat the Jets. I think that the Patriots are going to lose to the Bills because the Bills, like, they're playing their starters, right? They're still competing for that number one overall seed in the AFC, right? And so because of that, you know, Josh Allen is playing and Stephon Diggs is going to be playing and, you know, their defensive guys are all going to be out there, you know, Ed Oliver, so on and so forth, Um they're, like, they're all out there. They're, they're going to be playing. And let's be honest, Bill Belichick can't stop Josh Allen, right? Like ever since Josh Allen has kind of figured it out and they brought in Stephon Diggs and he's been the Josh Allen that we know now that is, you know, a top three quarterback in the NFL, um, Belichick hasn't been able to stop him So I think that the bills put up a lot of points on the patriots. The patriots can't score the ball I think the pats get absolutely wiped off the floor. It's in buffalo as well Not as big of a deal since you know, they're going from boston to buffalo new york still cold in boston But anyway, I like the bills to absolutely roll the patriots because of that the dolphins win and they get in Moving on the packers I believe are going to get the seventh seed in the nfc Let's just be honest here. Aaron Rodgers, he's better than Jared Goff, okay? Packers are at home. It's Lambeau Field. It's Sunday night football. That place is going to be absolutely rocking. People there are going to be drunk because the only way to stay warm in Green Bay, Wisconsin is to drink a lot of alcohol so that you just don't know that it's cold. Simple as that. Um, see, I, I think the Packers' role, I don't think that there's a way that they lose. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's Week 18. Okay, this is an opportunity for him to come out and silence all these people who have ran their mouths all year about how washed up he is. You know, they're going to end the year on like a four or five game win streak. They're going to go to the playoffs, probably get bounced in the first round whenever, you know, they take on, you know, the Cowboys or probably the 49ers or the Eagles or whoever they play. They probably get bounced in, in the first round. But still, like, it'll be a great way for Aaron Rodgers to end his season and potentially his final season in Green Bay. So that's what I expect to happen. If the Packers do somehow lose, uh, I I think that the Seahawks will beat the Rams, so it doesn't look like the Lions are going to be able to make the playoffs, which really sucks. I really do like this Lions team. The way that they came on at the end of the year, the offense, the way that it started to click, the adjustments that that they made on defense, I thought were really impressive. I really wanted to see this team make the playoffs just because you know, there's there's the story of of the hot wildcard team, right? That we've seen play out before. Where they come in, you know, and they've won four in a row, and all of a sudden, you know, they're just hot, and then they upset, you know, the number two seed or whatever, and then from there, they, you know, stay hot and they they make a Super Bowl run, right? Like we saw the Bengals do it last year. We seen that we seen the Giants do it twice: once in 2007 and once in 2012, right? Where they just kind of get hot at the right time. Um, of all the teams here that I would expect to do that, um, would probably be either the Packers or the Lions. Just because like the Lions can put up points with anybody, and you know the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, right? Like if he gets hot, watch out! Like they're going to put up a ton of points. Those rookie receivers have really come along. The offense is clicking. We'll see what that defense does. It's been a little up, more up and down than I think people thought it would be this year. But the Packers are definitely a team who could. I don't expect them to, but who could just get hot and make a deep run because of that. Looking in the AFC, you know the Jags. They've won several games in a row. Trevor Lawrence looks awesome doug peterson's a guy who's coached in the playoffs before has won a super bowl right so you've got you have an experienced head coach who can kind of help walk his young quarterback through that and so because of that like if the jags made it which i think they will if they make it into the playoffs this is a team that can upset some different teams right like they have the quarterback they've got some guys on the outside who can really play the defense has played well um you know and obviously they have a head coach who's done this before and outside of them, I like I don't expect the Dolphins to do it, just because they've been so down here recently. Obviously, you know they've lost five in a row. Even if Tua does come back, I think teams have really kind of figured out this offense and how to limit it. Um, so I, I don't think the Dolphins are a team that could come in as you know a last second wild card team and make a lot of noise. The Patriots definitely can't. They don't have the offense to do it. I don't care how good of a coach um, Belichick is. At the end of the day, they don't have the players on offense put up enough points to upset teams like the Bills or the Chiefs or the Bengals or whoever they end up playing. They just don't have the offense to do it. And finally, you know the Steelers, I would love it you know, if they were able to come in and make noise. Um, but ultimately, I just think having a rookie quarterback just makes it really hard to do that, even though Mike Tomlin is a great coach. So there you go. Once again, I have the Dolphins grabbing the 7th seed in the AFC. I have the Packers grabbing the 7th seed in the NFC some potential teams that can make some noise that don't have, you know, they're lower seated. The Jags, I think could do it and the Packers and the Lions. So that's going to do it here. At Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tune in and listen. I'll be back on Tuesday to break down just all the football going on this weekend. And obviously the college football national championship game on Monday. <clears throat> Once again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again on Tuesday.